This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, Mom and Mind listeners. I'm happy to let you know that we have our first sponsor for the podcast through none other than 2020 Mom. I'm honored to have them support this podcast and for me to support them by letting you know of an amazing forum they're hosting called Emerging Considerations in Maternal Mental Health. I'm going to give you all the details at the end of this podcast episode, along with a special discount to the 2017 annual forum just for Mom and Mind listeners. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm happy to have Gabrielle Kaufman from Maternal Mental Health Now on with us today. She's going to be discussing suicide as it relates to maternal mental health and postpartum. Clearly, this is a very difficult topic, but it's essential that we talk about this so we can be aware of the very real impacts of mental health on new moms, and more importantly, making sure that moms are safe and well cared for so that we can prevent suicide and postpartum. Gabrielle Kaufman, LPCC, is a dance movement therapist, licensed professional clinical counselor with over 20 years experience in the helping profession. Currently, she's a director of training and technical assistance for Maternal Mental Health Now. Prior to this, she served as a director of New Moms Connect program of Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles, providing services to new parents, particularly those suffering from symptoms of postpartum depression. She has worked extensively with new families, run several programs for high-risk children and teens, taught classes to parents of newborns and toddlers, and run support groups for single parents and women with postpartum depression. Ms. Kaufman has spoken widely, published articles on parenting, and served as the editor for Bringing Light to Motherhood. She serves as Los Angeles Coordinator for Postpartum Support International, is on faculty of PSI 2020 Mom, and the UCLA Arts and Healing and is a private practice in Los Angeles providing services in both English and Spanish languages. Welcome, Gabrielle. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on here to discuss suicide specifically. 
in part because we don't talk about it enough and people avoid talking about it. And it's really important to address this. So before we get into that, if you can talk a little bit more about the work that you do for maternal mental health now and in your practice. Sure. Thank you so much. And I just want to stop and thank you for being willing to talk about suicide. We need to talk about it because it's real. Yeah. So I have been working with Maternal Mental Health Now since it had its old name, which was the Los Angeles County Perinatal Mental Health Task Force. And I have been serving in curriculum development and training and even kind of clinical consultations. What's so exciting about the work Maternal Mental Health Now is that I'm not only at one clinic, but that we are reaching out to clinics throughout the entire county of Los Angeles and beyond to be able to increase the rates of screening and access to resources Mm -hmm. for women and families. So it's exciting to be able to say that the work we're doing, kind of grassroots, truly grassroots, it all started out like all of us coming together, we we said we'd sit down and eat empanadas around a table. And brought together people from private sector and public sector and clinics and hospitals, all saying not enough is being done about the issue of perinatal depression. And is there anything we can do to make a difference? And a lot has happened. And what's so exciting even, Kat, is knowing that you're doing this. We're having these global conversations in a way that we couldn't even have imagined 10, five years ago even, yeah. sort of kind of think, like, isn't it amazing? You and I are having this conversation <laughs> today with a sense that there are people in the world who get it. So yeah, I feel really excited. I feel like we're kind of the cusp of breaking down the stigmas and barriers to people getting help. I really hope so. And I know you work tirelessly along with everyone else at Maternal Mental Health Now and all of the other organizations that you support in your work to be bringing awareness and making sure that moms get access to care that they need and families, moms and families. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it really is the families, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. I kind of think like we sometimes look too narrowly at an issue. If we think about kind of Western medicine, it's like the doctors look at a certain part of your body. And so we think, you know, are we looking at only a mom who might be sad? And if you reduce it to something like that, there's, I hate to say it, it sounds terrible, but it may not be enough of an impulse to make a difference. But if we look at how families are deeply impacted, children, Mm -hmm. fetuses, you know, infants, siblings, partners, marriages, communities are deeply impacted by depression and anxiety. And, you know, unfortunately we read about in the news, the terrible situations, but Mm -hmm. the things we don't hear about are happening at home when people are struggling in their own private worlds, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's even more important that we be loud about it Mm -hmm. and speak out. And specifically around suicide, uh, you know, really, it's a sort of a taboo stigma subject anyways, but then especially for moms in, in the perinatal period, because, you know, all these ideas about and pressures about motherhood and what you're supposed to feel like. So I think I really want to get some concrete information for people about why we should be paying attention and understanding suicide during this period of time. Okay. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give you a little background as to why I decided this is an area I wanted to explore. Yeah. So like most of us, we all have our own personal reasons for going into this areas, but I'm going to put that on hold for a moment. Mm -hmm. When I started working with training people, 
I've trained everyone from physicians down to promotoras de salud who are like health workers who don't necessarily have the like graduate level educations. And what I found is that in both groups, people were saying, I don't want to ask about suicide. Mm-hmm. And when I said why, they said, because two reasons. One, if we find out, what do we do? Right. And then the second reason is I don't want to open that door. I don't want to make somebody think about that. And so for those of us who really understand mental health, we know that suicide is not an idea to be planted. Right. You can't plant a suicide idea. So it's really an important thing for us to think about. Like I even had supervisors come up to me and said, you can't tell me a BA level person can ask about this. And I felt very strongly that if we are saying this topic is taboo, we are actually putting women and families at risk because they're not going to feel safe, right? They're not going to feel like they can talk about it because nobody's going to ask. And by asking, it's kind of like, you know, if we don't hear the tree fall in the forest, is it actually falling? If we don't ask about suicide, does it mean that nobody's thinking about it? And obviously that's not true. So I thought, how do we break down the stigma? How do we break down this kind of concept that suicide is too scary to talk about? Mm -hmm. Because if we're too scared to talk about it, people will not talk about it and they're at higher risk when they don't talk about it. Right. So, right. I mean, for folks who are listening, you know, I mean, I think that's a really important take home, if nothing else, that we discussed today, even though all of it's going to be important, is that it's okay to ask and it's necessary to ask a mom how she's doing. And I'm going to give you some ideas later about how you can ask. Like, I think it'll be a really important thing. I am not saying this is not an uncomfortable topic, but Mm -hmm. when we look at statistics like suicide is the second leading cause of postpartum maternal deaths after like hemorrhages. Okay. So we're talking Mm -hmm. about suicide is a real safety issue and it is really prevalent in women who are struggling. Mm -hmm. If you think about postpartum women, I'm going to give you a couple statistics, but Mm -hmm. postpartum women with a history of depression are at 70% greater risk of suicide. Now, I want to tell you, whenever I give statistics, and I'm happy to actually give the citations to you for this later, Kat, so if you want to include this for any of your listeners, but I think it's an important thing for us to realize is just because they're at 70% greater risk doesn't mean they're going to commit suicide. It just Mm -hmm. means that the risk is out there. So let's address the risk because Mm -hmm. what I really love about working with this population is we actually have the opportunity to make a difference. Right. And so maybe that difference is simply saying, hey, you know, this is something that some women feel. If you feel it, I hope we could talk about this right. because I want to get you help. Mm-hmm. And most women who have either had an attempt or had serious thought about it when they're finally asked said, I had so much shame that I had those thoughts that I couldn't share it with anybody else. But when you asked me, I realized that I wasn't alone. And that made a big difference. That is a big deal. And this is what, in all of the interviews I've done and and other things I've, trainings I've been in and women I've sat with is that this is such postpartum anxiety and depression is such an internal thing. Yeah. And if we're not asking the questions, we're not helping them kind of bring themselves out of this internal turmoil. And here's the thing I know too, just because you ask doesn't mean someone will honestly share. I want to be honest about that, but, mm-hmm. but here's the flip side. If you do ask and that person says, no, you've planted a seed that you care. 
Right. You planted a seed that you will be approachable later. So maybe, maybe like the next day, the next week, the next month when that thought comes and it's too strong, they'll say, oh my God, you know, cat cared. And I think I'm really feeling it again. And I remember that she asked, I'm going to tell her, or, you know, the next time you see her and you ask her, she says, well, actually, yes. So Mm -hmm. it's about kind of, that's the whole feeling anyways about mental health screening. Yeah. Because it's all kind of very subjective. You know, what do you feel? What are you thinking? What do you want to share? It's really Mm -hmm. it. So the statistic that you were saying before about suicide being the the second leading cause of maternal death, this Mm -hmm. is, this huge. Yeah. That's a lot of women. I mean, I think maybe you're talking about already why we're not talking about this on a broader level. Mm-hmm. The reason we are talking about this is because it is such a big issue. And the whole point of this conversation is to bring it into other people's awareness and let them know it's okay to ask and talk about it if you're going through it yourself, but also for providers to be a little more clued in to how really significant a role this is in the postpartum period. I mean, I think all providers have to ask the question. Mm-hmm. We all have to ask the question. Do you know that like by not treating depression, and that we know is so common, is people do not commonly receive treatment for depression, but untreated depression is the number one reason for suicide. Mm-hmm. So that's big too. So just providing the treatment is doing something huge. But if you don't ask, you might not even know that it's there. You might not see it, which I think an interesting thing is that we can look at all the risk factors and I'm happy to go through it with you for suicide. Like some of the risk factors you might see are warning signs. You might be like that somebody might look sad or withdrawn, right? And they might have other, some of the other depressive symptoms, like including the change in their eating habits or sleep habits. They might actually talk more often or write about death or have a will. They might start to give away items. Okay. So that, this is some of the stuff we might've heard in school or you may hear about. They might share feeling helpless or hopeless or maybe even feeling anger or rage or feeling trapped or no way out. And that's actually one of the things I hear an awful lot when it comes to anxiety is Mm -hmm. that the anxiety feels so just all encompassing and like it will never end. That that anxiety can be a reason for thinking about suicide. Right. Some other things that to keep in mind, some other warning signs might be somebody who's using substances more often, or this is an interesting one too, is you've just kind of seen a change in personality. Mm-hmm. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, 
is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. A lot of guilt or shame, but the most kind of startling thing I'm going to tell you is that sometimes you see no warning signs at all. That is scary. It is scary. And so that's why it goes back to this is a taboo topic that shouldn't be taboo. So if we could start to talk about it, mm-hmm. if we can engage in these conversations, if we can make, hey, you know, if you're going through a rough time, I'm here for you. There's an app that you can get. It's free. It was developed by the Know the Signs campaign here in California by the Mental Health Services Act, I'm pretty sure. And it's called My3, M-Y with the number three. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful free app that you can put on your phone that helps people develop kind of their own personal self-care. So who are the three people I'll call? Who are, what are the things that I should look out for? What are some red flags? What are the distractions? Who are the people to remind me I can get some help? So it's actually a good resource in that way. It's not perfect. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to somebody if they're like actively suicidal because you know, they need more emergency care, but here's a little tip too. Don't ever tell anybody, here's a suicide app. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> right. But you know what? Like we all make mistakes, right? We all could mm-hmm. do that. So I think a better thing is this is a fabulous app for coping that I recommend. So it's worth it for those of you who want to check it out. It's free, all the Android and Apple phones. Okay. That's awesome. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well for people to access. Perfect. So suicide, right. Maybe if we can break it down just a little bit more in mm-hmm. terms of the difference between more passive suicidal thoughts and more active suicidal thoughts. And of course, we should be paying attention all the time to this, but there's sort of a spectrum of risk. If you could explain that a little bit for listeners. Sure. So the hardest thing about this is that there isn't such a thing as passive suicidal risk. However, there are times when we're more concerned than others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are times when you say, and I've heard this, I don't know, Kat, if you hear this in your practice, I hear it a lot, which is like, I just can't anymore. I feel overwhelmed. I just wish I didn't have to deal with this anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, it's super important for any of us who hears this to ask more questions. Right. Absolutely. This is where that kind of reflective practice comes in. So what we want to do is at that point, find out more. So there are things to find out because if we want to look at suicide risk, the things that are really important to look at is do they have kind of an idea, a plan as to how they want to do this? So you have to say, you know, I mean, again, I say the you, again, I'm really more talking about a professional in this area. However, 
you know, maybe a loved one can do this as well. Do you have a plan and do you have a means and do you have access? So in other words, if you say I'm planning to do this because I want to do this next week, what I want to do is I want to take pills. And then you want to find out, do they have the pills in their house? Mm -hmm. In which case that's a much higher risk because it means that they have a very clear idea. So I would put that if we were to stratify it, Mm -hmm. a much higher risk. So somebody might say, I don't want to do this anymore. I wish I could just go to sleep. But when I ask, they say, no, I'm really not going to do anything. Or I wish I could run away and never come back. And when we go deeper, it's just the way I feel right now. And then we can troubleshoot at that point. Well, what can we do to support you right now? But it is a very different thing when somebody actually knows what they want to do, how they want to do it, and when they want it. And so that's kind of the suicide stratification for risk. Certainly. So also if one of those factors is there, like, you know, I know what I want to do, but I don't know when or how, that's still an increased risk. But certainly if all three of those things are in place, then this is really needs to be addressed. Yeah, it really needs to be addressed. And here's the bottom line. You know what? When it comes to like safety issues, I don't think any of us should have to deal with this alone. I supervise other clinicians and I really do believe that we need each other. And I reach out to colleagues of mine as well when I say, I don't have a good feeling about this. And a lot of this work is about kind of our gut instinct. Mm -hmm. So just if a friend, if a loved one, or if a client is expressing something that truly just makes you think later, I don't feel comfortable, reach out to a colleague. You don't have to, you know, breach confidentiality. You can just Mm -hmm. kind of find out more. And don't, I don't think there's any problem to pick up the phone later and say, I know you left my office. And I know we talked about this, but the more that I think about it, I want to make sure that you're safe. Right. And I think on some level that's true for family members as well. If they they like think back and like that's strange or that didn't sit well with me to check back in Mm -hmm. and follow those instincts. I think we're on some level, I mean, who wants, I'm thinking primarily of family members and friends right now, who wants to think about their loved one as you know, being at risk for suicide and that might be overwhelming or you might say to yourself, oh no, like she would never, or that's not going to happen. But those gut feelings are there for a reason. And we need to listen to our gut. I mean, as I say, like the best therapeutic tool any of us has is our gut. Mm -hmm. Not to say we should go with gut alone, but start there and check it out. Yeah. And it can be really painful to think about like, okay, well, maybe there is really a problem and how do I say this and what do I say? And maybe we can get into some of that in just a moment of how to help and how to be supportive, how to, mm-hmm. how to care for somebody who may be at risk. For sure. I'm happy to talk about that. And I just want to go back to this passive versus active thing. Sure. I guess the bottom line is all suicidal thought can be high risk, but on the other hand, It is not uncommon for any of us in a bad moment to say, gosh, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this. So that I'm kind of saying two things at the same time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like everything can be high risk and everything can be low risk. So to recognize that it's important to walk that line. Mm -hmm. I I want to say one other thing too, kind of in, in the old school, when I was trained as a clinician, one of the things we were taught to do is to come up with a suicide contract with our patients. I don't know if that's something that you were trained with Kat? Uh, A little bit, yeah. So actually evidence now is showing that they're not so great. And the idea of that would be like to sit down with your client and say, okay, you're going to sign a contract with me that you are not going to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was sort of on the way out towards the end of my training. 
this idea that somehow that was the best way to keep them safe. So I guess I'm going to say that that is really true. We want to be careful that we don't just say, okay, you promise you're not going to do anything. All right, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, knowing somebody cares and is checking in on you means a lot to somebody who feels hopeless. Mm -hmm. So to recognize that we can play a role in helping. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the steps we can take to care. Great. So the first thing is like kind of the sense of being, of asking. Mm -hmm. First thing is to ask. And again, you're going to ask again, and you may not ask only one time. The other is kind of just do a basic risk assessment like I was talking about. What is going on? What are some of the behaviors and what are their thoughts? Mm -hmm. And if they're kind of in a dangerous place and you want to jump in immediately, which doesn't mean, by the way, let's you know strap them to the roof of the car and drive in the emergency room. Right. But it means... I think we don't need to dance around an uncomfortable. If you truly feel somebody's not safe, we don't want to say this is too uncomfortable to address. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to say, I'm worried about you because I care. Right. And that goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. I mean, generally people are feeling super alone. Yeah. I mean, I can pretty much make that a blanket statement. Yeah. Uh, that people who are having this internal process of either wanting to die or not wanting to go on are feeling alone. So deeply alone. And by the way, you and I both know this, sending them just to go out and to be in like what we call the perky moms groups just to make them feel less alone. In fact, it makes them feel more alone. Yes, it does. So loneliness isn't proximity to humans on a physical level. It's proximity to humans on an intimacy level. That's right. So providing some of that intimacy, providing that caring, just listening and listening without judgment Mm -hmm. is huge. Right. And anybody can do that. Yeah. Anybody can do that. Look, all of you who are listening, I know you're all doing that. I do know that because you wouldn't be on the show (laughs) listening, right? Yeah. So I got the captive audience at this point, but Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we are all capable of that. And I think part of it is the one thing to keep in mind with the suicide issue is to get out of your way with your own discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really it. If you feel uncomfortable, that will be translated to the other person. But that doesn't mean you have to pretend. You can just say, you can outright say, hey, this is a little hard to ask. I'm a little uncomfortable and I don't mean to be intrusive, but I'm asking because I'm worried. I'm asking because mm-hmm. I care and I'm asking because I want to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing advice. It's relatively simple, but I think it's hard for people to get to that like clarity of thought. Mm-hmm. If they're all you know wrapped up in the, oh my gosh, should I ask this? And all the things you described before about feeling like if you say something that you're going to make somebody do it, that's not the case. It's just not the case. It has never happened ever that an individual has asked somebody, have you ever thought of harming yourself and killing yourself? And their response is, oh, I think I'll do that now. It just doesn't work that way. No, not at all. Most of the time they're trying to avoid their thoughts themselves. Mm -hmm. It can be really overwhelming to be someone, to be feeling those thoughts and feelings of wanting to die and negotiating, you know, even like the guilt and the shame around having the feelings themselves sometimes. Yeah. There is so much guilt. And particularly in this perinatal period, Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about that having a baby is this time that everybody seems to expect is going to be this delightful, happy time all the time. So 
there's this darkness to sharing that not only are you deeply unhappy, but you're so unhappy that you can't imagine going on. And actually, I'm going to give you a line that I hear in my practice a lot. I don't know if you or anyone else hearing this podcast hears, but people will come in and I know I'm worried when they say, I'm not a good mom. Mm -hmm. My baby would be better off without me. Yeah, I do hear that. The way that depression and deep depression changes people's thoughts is almost like, you know, their brain is tricking them to believe these really self-judgmental and harsh things about themselves. I have to find something and read it to you because I think this is really good. This was written by Yael Saar, who's with Postpartum Progress. She posted this and it's this equation. It's, I am a terrible mother, which equals my husband and baby deserve better which equals they will really be better off without me, which equals I should kill myself. Mm -hmm. So that's this this suicide logic that gets triggered. Mm -hmm. I think it's so powerful because it's almost all the time this very internal logic Mm -hmm. and you don't have the opportunity. So like, you know, when you go from one part of the equation to the next, you're not necessarily stopping and having somebody kind of give you feedback. This is all in your brain. And so it feeds that logic loop. Right. And most of the time, people aren't saying this out loud to anybody. So for moms or family members or whoever who's listening right now, and you're recognizing these things in yourself that either you did have this and now you're better or you are experiencing this right now, it's that depression lies to you. Depression lies to you. That's a really good statement. Depression, I will often say that this is the voice of your depression. I mean, you know, we talk about seeing the world through rose colored glasses, you know, and when you're feeling happy. I had a woman explain how she felt in depression by putting a a gray scarf over her face and she said, This is how I see the world. So it is almost this lie. Right. And doubly painful for moms with new babies, Mm -hmm. maybe even more than doubly painful, is not only, as you were saying, not only do you feel bad, but you are trying to negotiate how to care for a new life and all the guilt and shame that goes around with that when you feel like that you're not doing a good job because of what depression is telling you or because of what you're seeing on, I don't know, Facebook or social media about what perfect moms look like, which is a lie. All of that gets sort of computed into this, well, I'm not doing that and I'm not doing that. And my child's crying. I can't figure out how to get them comforted and I'm doing something wrong. And it very quickly go to, I should just end it. I actually really want people to go offline to not go on fake book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've had a client come and say, I just posted this picture about of me and my baby and we look really beautiful and everybody says we look fantastic, but I just wanted to run away that day. I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. So we are very good at putting a mask on or showing the world that we look really good. But what I find to be so interesting is the same woman who is putting that out there, recognizing the kind of fantasy reality she wants to portray to the world cannot see that other people are doing the same thing. Oh, right. We're always, that's so true. We're always comparing our very worst to someone else's very best. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. 
I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And yes. it just never works in our favor, ever. So a, a client said to me once, and I really loved it, which was, do not compare your insides to someone else's outsides. Yeah, that's perfect. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's so true. And all of these factors go into a mom's kind of awareness and consciousness, and especially if she's already feeling down and low and hopeless and it can compact everything. Yeah. So in terms of, we've gone over some really good information about what to notice either in your own mind or if you see from somebody else that there are risk factors and ways to be supportive and ask questions that are hard to ask. And then in terms of help and support and treatment and access and resources, for people who are struggling or providers or family members who want to get help to somebody, what can they do? So the first thing is, like I said, I think this Know the Signs My 3 app is really good. The Know the Signs website is suicideispreventable.org. So you can check that out. It's just a very simple way to help somebody develop a list of what they're network their warning signs or coping strategies are so that they will have that at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. A couple of other things that I have noticed is that most people really do feel that even if they don't have a strong connection to their baby in this postpartum period, they do recognize that their baby is somebody they, they care about and they love. Mm-hmm. And so I will actually use that baby as an anchor. And I'll say, mm-hmm. you know, you may think your baby doesn't need you, but I know that your baby needs you. Mm-hmm. And so like, I need to remind you that maybe for right now, you may feel that you're not the best mom right now. And I can tell you all I want to try and convince you otherwise, but I can promise you, your baby needs a mom and she needs you. Mm -hmm. So to use that as an anchor, and I will actually encourage people to print up pictures of their babies Mm -hmm. and put them everywhere on the mirror in the bathroom, on the fridge door, on their cell phone, you know, even a picture in the car somewhere just so that they're constantly, especially actually, by the way, especially in the car, Mm -hmm. because that's one of the ways that people very often in this postpartum period think about harming themselves. Mm -hmm. In fact, last night, a woman was sharing a story about her own thought about suicide. 
And she explained that she looked in the rearview mirror, she saw her baby car seat, mm-hmm. and that kept her alive. That actually happened in my practice as well. Another woman had that same story. So reminders of that, you know, you may not feel good right now and you may not see any hope, but your baby needs you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So then when we're trying to get somebody to help, so let's say somebody's recognized it in themselves or for someone else, what are some next steps? Who can they reach out to to actually get treatment? So what I want you all to write down now is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 1-800-273-TALK. And you can also just go online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And that's uh, national in the U.S., but if anybody is international, you can actually go to the website and it'll give you some good ideas. So that would be the first thing. If you feel that somebody is in imminent danger, don't wait. Take them to the emergency room. Take them to their doctor. Take them to keep watch of somebody. You might want to do that. But most of the time, someone won't necessarily be at that level. And the first thought that they've had, the first couple of thoughts that they've had, an early intervention can go a really long way. So it kind of goes back to looking at helping develop a safety plan for them. Okay, next time you have these thoughts, I want you to have these phone numbers. I want us to think about the things that you like to do. You know, you can even make a mixtape for somebody. I know that totally dates me, (laughs) but to kind of create some things that will help be reminders of the reason to live. I'm a big one of making little books, you know, make a book for a kid, make a book for a mom, but it could be you grab a spiral notebook Mm -hmm. and you sit down with this individual and you say on each page, we're going to put some reason why it's worth living and some number of somebody or something like that. So it could be, you know, by the way, This is just an idea coming to my head right now, but (laughs) it could be, you know, what quote inspires you? Let's put that quote there. You know, what are things to look forward to in your life? So keeping some messages of hope and as you said before, some anchors, some reasons. And I think it's really valuable to have that something to look at or even hold on to Mm -hmm. that takes you out of your head uh, because it's really easy to get lost in there. It's so easy. And it really is about kind of pulling you out. I love that image of even getting lost in there because it's what we see. And I know that, you know, this is what I experience in my practice. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I need your help because I can't see in there. So Mm -hmm. tell me what's going on so that I can help you. You don't have to be alone in there. Right. And the other place, and that, that's a lot of our messaging in this world, is that you are not alone. The moms are not alone, and the families are not alone, and there's the suicide prevention hotline. PSI has a warm line, which I'll put in the show notes. The one thing you all should know, though, is a warm line is usually a message line. So mm-hmm. if, it's, right. if it's imminent, look for a hotline. There are hotlines in every city, but like I said, there's the National Suicide Prevention, which is, it actually, what I think they do is they connect you to the local one. They, okay do that so they can find local resources. Yeah. Right. So there are places to call Postpartum Support International, their website. There is a warm line, someone to talk to, somebody in your area. There's a map and a list of places to find providers. In LA, the Maternal Mental Health Directory online. You can type in your city and find providers near you. And that's for other providers too who are listening. You can use it too. If you have a mom and you're not sure what to do, you need a specialist. Just go on there and find a specialist. Yeah, they're all over. There are people everywhere. And and we are all dedicated 
so many of us are volunteering our time to try and get the word out because we really want to help moms. And here's where the hope comes in. Can I just take a moment to say, this is the good thing about the work that we do. We actually know that we can make a big difference. I had worked with a lot of women who have struggled with suicidal thoughts and say, thank God I'm here today to see my beautiful baby and to see my beautiful toddler. And now my five-year-old who's in kindergarten. And I would have missed that. Right. And he would have missed me. And so there is so much hope. People get better. People really get better. Yeah. This is totally treatable. On a lot of levels, it's preventable if we can address it much earlier on. But right, there's a lot of organizations like Maternal Mental Health Now and, and other folks who are working really hard to get people trained, get the awareness out there provide opportunities for treatment, that this is treatable. You can feel better. Yeah, you can feel better. You can feel better. And then your whole family will be better because of it. Right. And maybe other folks in the family need support too. It's not just the mom. Maybe other folks need support to to get through it. I think there's no way to know how we're going to respond in the postpartum period or with pregnancy until we go through it. And the idea that we are going to just, you know, float on through and there's rainbows and butterflies and I'm going to know everything to do is damaging because it's not true. That doesn't happen (laughs) most of the time. Certainly didn't in my case. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. But that, that's part of the point that we're making is that, you know, we have to address suicide as a major concern. We have to get people support and help as soon as possible. And to also know that this is treatable. People do get better. And we heard last night and we hear stories all the time, like you were just saying, that it was hard to see that I was going to be able to get through this. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I'm so glad I did. Yeah. I mean, if there's anyone out there who's listening, I just want to say it's hard to feel and know right now, but your family needs you. Don't hurt yourself. Get help because you can get better. You really can. And you can get the help that you need. And though you do not see the light, those of us who have been doing this work for a long time know it's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, you can get through this. And it's not something that Anybody wants, nobody wants to feel this way. Nobody chooses to feel this way. And it's certainly not your fault. This is something that people deal with and go through and it's very real and very treatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Gabrielle, for coming on and discussing this really difficult, difficult topic. But I'm so hopeful that with information, people can feel empowered. And that's from the mom who's suffering to the family member to the provider, whoever, that we don't have to hide from this. And in fact, we shouldn't. I mean, and that's just it. And here's the thing. I mean, when I started to focus a little bit about this in trainings, I was realizing that we do such a disservice to families by not talking about this issue because we're scared that it's so horrible. But the reality is talking about this is the panacea, right? The answer is right there. Mm -hmm. We can reduce suicide by talking about this, by looking into our discomfort, confronting it and being able to be present for other people. So it's really a message of hope. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad you're on and I know we'll be talking again. And Gabrielle, in terms of the work that you do and maternal Mm -hmm. mental health does now, Mm -hmm. as far as I know, you guys are available for consults to help other organizations, um, programs in their communities. You guys have paved the way and are doing so many cool things in LA County. So if there are people who want to know more about the work that Gabrielle and Maternal Mental Health Now are doing, maternalmentalhealthnow.org. 
Yeah. And we have an online training for continuing education units for clinicians, but we also have some fabulous stories from people who have shared their stories for clinicians who are interested. We have posted research and up-to-date information about many different areas of research that people are doing. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, I have my own personal website, which is gabriellekaufman.com. Awesome. Thank you. So everyone be informed. And mamas, we're here for you. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. Thank you so much, Kat. Hi there. I'm popping in before this episode wraps up to give you the details of the 7th Annual Emerging Considerations in Maternal Mental Health Forum hosted by 2020 Mom. I will be there and I'm very excited for this event. This year's forum will be held in Los Angeles on February 13th and will discuss the maternal mental health link to hormones and inflammation, as well as the role of diet with two amazing presenters. You can register for the live event in Los Angeles for just $95 or view a webcast from the comfort of your own home or office for $50. So anywhere in the world you are, you can watch this forum. And here's where it gets better. Listeners of this podcast will also receive a 15% discount by using the registration code MOMANDMIND. One word, MOMANDMIND. Learn more at www.2020mom.org slash annual dash forum. And I'll have all this information for you guys in the show notes. So you can just click on that link if you prefer to do it that way. Also, to learn more about 2020 Mom in general, listen back to episode 11, where I interviewed Joy Burkhardt, the founder and executive director of 2020 Mom. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.